Hi, this is Phil Merstan, author of Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. And you're listening to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast with John Hulin. Life is all about relationships and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue Podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. As always, thrilled to have each and every one of you with me today. And as you heard from that introduction, I have the one and only Phil Mershon with me today. Phil, how are you? I'm doing awesome. How about yourself? Oh, man, much better than I deserve. Much yes. better. <laughs> well, as you guys heard Phil say from the introduction, he is the author of the book, which I'm going to hold up here for those of you who can see this in my hand. Again, it is called Unforgettable. The subtitle is The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. Can't wait to jump into that with you, Phil. But before we do that, or I should say in addition to that, let me tell you guys a little bit more about Phil. And Phil, just so that you know, John doesn't mess around. I got notes, man. I do my research ahead of time. So, <laughs> so Phil is the Director of Experience for a Social Media Examiner. He happens to be a speaker. He's a jazz saxophonist, which I thought was pretty cool. I didn't know that ahead of time. So that was pretty cool learning that. And so what else, Phil? What else am I missing? What other, what other fun titles are there that make Phil, Phil? Snorkelware. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I wore a snorkel standing between two Maasai warriors when I was in Kenya. Um, it's like a random story. Uh, <laughs> I like pickleball. Um, I'm known as the Swiss Army Knife. Uh, I'm a songwriter. Uh, so Swiss Army Knife probably says it all. There's a lot of things that I do. I've got lots of blades in the knife and I enjoy using them all, but not all, none of them for too long at one time. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I guess that would be one way I could describe myself as an entrepreneur. Mm. I'm yes. the same way. Uh, the various businesses I have are very different and have nothing to do with one another. And that's partly because I get bored easily. Yep. Oh. <laughs> yep. Totally relate. All right. So, Phil, take us back a little bit because you didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I need to write this book about creating these fantastic experiences because of your experience as being this is an oversimplification, but it helps me understand it better as an event planner. Right. So, you didn't just wake up one day and decide to become an event planner. So, take us back in time and Tell us a little bit about your history and how you got to where you are today. So I, I jokingly like to say it started when I was about seven years old in the living room of an apartment we were living in when I arranged my brother and sister and all the stuffed animals and I became the preacher and they were the audience. <laughs> That's the first event that I think I planned. <laughs> but I don't think I knew that I was an event planner, to be honest with you, until... Uh, I was in my first job out of college. I was a computer programmer for Boeing here in Wichita, Kansas. Oh, and yeah. they sent us to this thing called total quality management. And the guy who led it introduced me to the concept of brainstorming, which I had never heard of. 
to mm. that point in time, at least in the way that they they designed the activities. And I said to myself, I want to do that someday. How do I do that? And the guy said a little bit jokingly, but he said, well, become a pastor for 30 years, have a heart attack. And then your doctor tells you, you can't go back to being a pastor. And then you can come do this. I'm like, well, that doesn't <laughs> sound like a very promising career path. So I found a different way. Uh, and about five years later, I was leading um, activities like that. I was a uh, training director for Coke mm -hmm. Industries and started leading events. And that, that began the journey. Um, even before that, I was doing trainings, but that's where I started to say, okay, I really enjoy this. People enjoy it when I lead these. But at the time I was a pastor. So I, mm -hmm. um, after I left Coke Industries, I was a pastor for about a decade and was, you know, leading worship for churches, leading retreats, but not really doing corporate events. But when the Great Recession hit, that's when I jumped into events. Um, it was a slow process. It took about a year before I stepped into that and even a couple more years before really understood that all these different knives in my Swiss Army knife really do equip me to lead and organize events. And then after doing it for a decade, we realized my true sweet spot was in the experience side of it, not mm -hmm. as much in the logistics side of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, flesh that out for us a little bit. Uh, for those who may not necessarily understand the totality of what goes into planning an event, um, you differentiated between the experience side and the logistics side. So help us understand that better. Well, so there's you know, there's a strategy, just like in any business, there's a strategy and an operational side. There's execution side of what you're doing. So I'm an ideator. I'm a strategist. Okay. Um, I love the research. But in terms of the execution, um, events require a very strong attention to detail. As a creative, that is not necessarily my first strength. Like I mm. notice things that are detail oriented, but not in a consistent way. It's much more, you know, like random access. Oh, I randomly noticed that there's a grammatic mistake there. But if you ask me to proof your document, I'm probably not the right person, but I'll notice that you misspelled a word. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. So, so I'm the creative though. That's, that's really where my strengths are. And then there's mm -hmm. others on the team that creativity is not the first thing that they bring to the table. And there's others who have it all. You know, mm -hmm. all of us are a mixture of creative and executional or operational um, strengths, but you've got to have both within a great event. Um, mm -hmm. If you only have the details, then you're going to have a, a bland experience. Mm -hmm. If you only have someone who's a creative, then it's going to be chaos. So you've got to have <laughs> both of them living together. So, gotcha. Okay. So, how did this whole, um, so you, you were at, Coke Industries for a long time. That's kind of how you got your feel for it, so to speak. And then you were in the pastorate and then you went essentially into business for yourself, right? That's kind of the progression or the timeline? No. So after in the Great Recession, I was working as a pastor. I was also working for a private school to make up the rest of the income. Mm -hmm. I got laid off from the school. The church job wasn't enough to support my family in San Diego. We mm -hmm. So we received some severance and said, Hey, go, go find a full-time job. Well, in 2010, that was not very easy. So mm -hmm. I was trying to do the private, the solo thing in 2010. Yeah. I was trying to be a copywriter. I was trying to do anything. At one point I had five jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to do whatever I could to put sure. food on the table. 
But by the end of 2010, Mike Stelzner at Session Examiner said, hey, Phil, I've got a part-time director of Summit's job. Because at that point, we were doing only online events. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, He asked if I'd like it. And I said, absolutely. The pay was better than anything I was making in the other four jobs that, because he was one contract out of the five at that yeah. point. And so I let go of three of them, kept one of them. And then um, that slowly moved from half-time to full-time by 2012. Mm -hmm. So I went from contractor in 2010 and 11, by May of 2012, became full-time and have been full-time with Session Examiner since then. Gotcha. Okay. And that is essentially a remote position, correct? Yeah. I've been remote the entire time. When everybody else learned how to do that in 2020, I've been doing it since 2010. Wow. Look at you, man. Yep. You're way ahead of the curve. Way ahead. At least in one area. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when it comes to planning events, because anybody who's paying attention to this podcast has been to and has at least participated in some kind of event somewhere. And we've we've all had great experiences. We've all had average experiences and we've all had horrible experiences. So if you can try and differentiate it for us, what are some key ingredients that make up a great experience and what takes away from a great experience that what what are things that happen to, that downgrade it? So I would tell you that you can have all three of those scenarios happen at the same event. Oh, like okay. You, great, you can have great experiences, average experiences, and terrible experiences all within the same event, sometimes within the same session. Let me tell you a story. Okay, I was please. at a launch conference and they had, I don't know, 5,000 people in the keynote. And this was an amazing keynote session. Person did a great job. I was sitting with a couple of friends and knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb. I couldn't wait to talk about it. So mm. I would qualify that as a great experience. What happened though, at the end of it is the MC said, Hey, okay, we're going to go to a break now. Um, there's refreshments outside. Um, go ahead and make your way out there. And as soon as he was done, the AV team decided they needed to get us out of the room as quickly as possible so they could get ready for whatever was next. And they probably had a high profile person coming in, there probably was a reason that this happened, but yeah. the way they did it was not great. They turned the music up spinal tap style to 11 oh my and God. it was probably some rock and roll song. And so it was so loud. The only thing you could do was stand up and join the crowd of cows. I mean, of people mm -mm. who heard it out of the room and what was worse was it was so loud that I thought I forgot everything that I had just learned. So they say it, you know, within within one hour, you forget 50% of what you learn. Well, in that mm. one minute, I forgot everything that I just learned. And I hadn't mm. taken very good notes. So it literally was gone. Um, oh. So that was, so it went from great to terrible within a minute. Wow. So, and, and events do things like that. So to answer your question, what makes events great? Well, great content that leads to in to do an inspiring thought or an insight or something that's going to be um, life transformational, maybe life-changing, um, some mm -hmm. kind of insight that's helpful to you. Um, that's one part of it. Great mm -hmm. connections, like you meet someone. Like I, I say, if you learn one great thing and meet one great person at an event, that could be a great event for you. Mm -hmm. that, that might be a worthwhile goal. It was worth going if there was one person and one thing that you walked away with. 
obviously mm-hmm. like more than that, but it, that may be all you retain. And that could still be enough that is a difference maker. What gets in the way of that are things like that music example. Um, yeah. And that's a, that's an extreme example, but there are things that happen at events that are distracting you. So, you know, it could be like this cognitive dissonance that happens. So you walk into a session and they're telling you that they want you to network, but they're playing really loud, blurring music and it's hard to even <laughs> hear each other. That's dissonance, right? right? Right. Or I went to an event recently where, you know, they want to keep you stimulated and they've got all this great content, but the color, the color scheme is blues and purples, like dark blues and purples. So after lunch, you've had this nice big lunch, you come back in and the room's feeling nice and cozy. And all you want is some milk, some crackers and a blanket. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you're, there, there are decisions that are being made that have unintended consequences that are causing people to step away. Or another one is if, if people are feeling um, insecure, you know, we all have this fight, flight or freeze um, notion. And so if you are not taking care of people's personal safety, you're making them feel like, oh man, this, this event's a little bit chaotic. They don't know what they're mm-hmm. doing or I don't know what's coming up next. When we're uncertain, or we don't know where the food is, or we can't get to the bathroom, we move down that Maslow's hierarchy, um, Mm -hmm. down to our basic needs, and everything else doesn't matter anymore. You could have the best content in the world, but if people are concerned about finding a bathroom, or where's the fire escape, or I don't feel safe next to this guy, he's kind of creeping me out. That's all you're thinking about in that moment. Everything else can be thrown away. So event planners, one of our jobs is to make people feel secure, make them feel like we've got all the details taken care of, make you feel like um, we've been thinking about everything that could go wrong. And we're also prepared to fix the things we didn't think about because there's always something. There's no sure. such thing as a perfect event. There's no yeah. such thing as a perfect plan. We've got to be ready for the things that you know we didn't know about. We want to all obviously be ready for the things we know can go wrong. So if you know projector bolts can go out, you got to have some backups. If you know batteries are going to go out, you know, make sure you're changing them, but be ready. You know, those are normal things. That happens. It happens all the time. So be ready for it. But then there's things that you don't know about, like President Biden decided this year that he would come to San Diego during our conference. We didn't invite him, but he decided to come anyway. (laughs) So (laughs) the, uh, the Navy base across the bay um, they shut down all the frequencies that Wi-Fi is on while he was in town mm-hmm. between 10 p.m. and 1 p.m. And they must have pre-programmed it because it happened three days in a row in that same window of time, which that what that meant was every wife, every microphone, wireless microphone that we were using um, was not usable during that oh. window. of. Time. And so we're sitting here saying, why are we having problems keeping our wireless devices connected? And eventually they realized, oh, this is what happened. Um, you know, there was a way around it, but we didn't have the equipment in hand for that because that is a, you know, that's a once in a blue moon kind of event that mm-hmm. even our AT company had never had that happen in all their years of working. They've, they've never seen something like that, but oh. you know, it's not normal. The president of the United States decides that he's coming to town right in the middle of your event. So true, true. Okay. Um, now, here's a question that I know I've had to deal with before, and so I suspect there are others who have as well. Using an event planner 
or doing it yourself? Pros and cons. Which, how, how do you know what's the right way to go with that? Depends on a lot of different factors. You know, it depends okay. on how confident you feel in the logistics of running events. Um, you know, if, if that's something that you love to do, you've got a good balance of that creative and the detail orientation. Um, I think it also depends on the scale of the event. So, right. you know, if you're doing a small event, that might not be necessary. If you're doing a larger event, you know, I'd say the larger it gets, the more helpful, uh, the more complex the event, the more helpful it is. Mm. And I'll tell you this, I've, we worked for a number of years where we hired people who were not event planners to work on the event planning team. And mm. the work that uh, a trained and skilled and experienced event planner could do was probably sometimes as much as three times as effective as the person mm -hmm. who didn't have that experience in the same number of hours. Wow. So um, someone who's got you know, 30, 50, 100 events under their belt just knows how to do stuff and thinks about things differently and knows how to be a duck. And by that, I mean, they, they look un, unruffled, um, even though they're frantically pedaling under, under the water. And you need mm -hmm. people who can keep a smile on their face even when there's a thousand changes, even when the things go wrong that everybody had worked so hard on, they're throwing curveballs at the last minute. It's like, okay, let's go. Let's go. Okay. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. All right. How yeah. do I make this better? They don't take it personally. Um, having that disposition on your team can be super helpful, especially if you're the organizer and owner, and it's really important for you to be present with the people who are coming and build the relationships with them and not need to worry. So yeah. like I look at our, our CEO, Mike Stelzner, he's able to go, go to the event and speak with four or 500 people while he is there because he doesn't worry about the details because he knows there's a whole team of us that are taking care of the event and making sure it runs smoothly from start to finish. And he notices stuff and he'll jump in and say something, but he doesn't, he doesn't concern himself with it um, mm. the way that the rest of us are. And so I think you need to know yourself. What's the goal of the event? If the goal is to build relationships and be present, maybe you need somebody, even if it's just a part-time somebody who steps in and takes care of that. So that's some of the stuff I would think about. Okay. Well, this next question is, is leading us toward the book. How do you create an unforgettable experience? So, I mean, it's, you can't control whether it becomes unforgettable totally, but I think there's okay. some things that you can do that set it up to become that. So first, okay. let me start with this. Um, Effing Haas, I think it's Herman Effing Haas, was a German psychologist, and he studied retention back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He created what's known now as the forgetting curve, and he's mm -hmm. the one who, who first learned that after one hour, you've forgotten 50%. Well, within 30 days, you're, you've forgotten 90% of what you've mm -hmm. learned or experienced, unless you do things to reinforce it. So this is, this is where it becomes important for understanding what's unforgettable is we need to figure out how do we get things from that short-term to long-term memory for people. So there's a couple of things that we need to do. One is you need to make it memorable. Some of the ways that you make things memorable is you do something that's unexpected. You know, mm -hmm. you, you do create surprises, you create something that's unusual or distinctive. So you know, an example I like to share is when people arrive at our event this last year, we had a violinist who's also a dancer um, serenading people as they walked in and joining them and 
just creating a fun moment and mm. totally unexpected, um, something that they'll remember, they'll take pictures of. Um, the next thing is you take things that are familiar and combine them in unusual ways. So mm. I love Jesse Cole and what he's doing with the Savannah Bananas because yes. he challenges his team. Let's do things that have never been done on a baseball field before. So many of those things that he does are, are quite memorable. You know, his brace dancing <laughs> base coat, his batter who stands on stilts and is able to actually hit the ball, you know, right. or his cowboy pitcher who also goes out and lassos runners as they're trying to get from first to second. You know, that's, that's memorable. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, those are lassoing things and running from first to second are, are ordinary Combine mm -hmm. them together. It's like, well, I've never seen that before. And so you're never going to forget that. Um, another part of it, though, and this is probably where it gets more, more scientific, is, is the stacking of the senses. So I think mm -hmm. you probably know intuitively that the more senses that you incorporate into something, the more memorable it becomes. And the ultimate sense is the olfactory. And that can work against mm. you and yeah. it can work for you. And so... By working against you, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in college, I went to Kenya for seven months. And while I was there, hmm. lived half the time on a sugar plantation. And the refinery was on the plantation. While they're refining sugar, they at one point, they incorporate sulfur. And if you know anything about sulfur, it smells like rotten eggs. So right. when the, we're blowing out toward the ocean, um, it would blow over our village. And so one day when that was happening, I got sick to my stomach from the smell of the rotten eggs. And so the family that I was staying with decided it'd be a good idea to give me bananas. Well, now when I smell rotten eggs or sulfur, I'm immediately transported some 30, 40 years later back to that village in Kenya. My stomach gets upset and I, it's the only time I ever don't like bananas is when I'm smelling. <laughs> so that's negative. Yeah. Like you can... You can have smells that trigger people toward negative memories unintentionally. And mm -hmm. sometimes you can't, but like, no one's going to put rotten eggs in an event, of course. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's an example. But on a positive side, I've used the smell. I've actually put um, bread makers in the back of a room to mm -hmm. create the smell of baking bread to remind people of home. You know, for mm -hmm. me, it reminds me of my grandma's kitchen in Iowa because she was almost always baking bread. I've also created vats of coffee and put fans over them and blown them across a room to make the create the sense of being in a coffee shop. Mm. And we will, after people are traveling a long way, I will get fragrance of either lemon or lime or oranges, something citrusy to help mm -hmm. them feel refreshed after they've been traveling because just that smell causes people to relax a little bit. So mm. using the more senses you can will make something memorable. The other two parts of something that's unforgettable are make it meaningful mm -hmm. and make it um, make it momentous. So meaningful, make it personally meaningful, something that people are going to find personally meaningful, like a, mm -hmm. some kind of insight that they might have. You want to understand who they are and the journey that they're on. And then by momentous, what I mean is you're stacking momentum, moments on top of each other, but it's the right moment. So Chip and mm -hmm. Dan Heath are professors at Stanford and they wrote The, the Power of Moments. And you probably oh, you have mean, that there. This book right here? Yeah, like 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 that one. Yeah, yeah. So I, you've maybe talked about that one before, but what 
you know, they, they studied how Disney does things and they, um, they asked people after their experience at Disney about their high and low moments, you know, mm -hmm. and everybody had high and low moments. It's not like everybody had a great time all day long at every moment. They, in fact, they say not all moments are created equally. So, but what they did learn is that the high peak moments trump the low moments if done right and at the right time. So mm. that fireworks that's at the end yeah. can, can trump a lot of things. If you set a good first impression, which they do, you walk through the gate and you, the first thing you see is the castle. That's like, oh, you know, Main Street and there's the castle and there's some characters. Like all of a sudden, maybe you had to wait in line to get in to get checked in and they've probably been trying to do some things there to get you in as quickly as possible, but you have a good first impression. You have a great last impression. And there's a few highlights during the day The you, you, you met the princess, she came and greeted you while you're having lunch. You, you know, went on your favorite ride. You saw the parade, all those things add up. So when you, when you put those three things together, making it memorable, making it meaningful, making it momentous, you lead toward, experiences and moments throughout an event that will be unforgettable. Um, and you have to be intentional about it. And then you've got to yeah. also tackle the threats that might take people away that we were talking about earlier. Sure. You know, it's interesting the way you're describing how to create that unforgettable experience for folks reminds me a little of the things that I try to do when I speak to people. When I'm when I'm in a crowd, one of the things that I do because most people are not auditory learners. So you got to do mm -hmm. something to try and help them remember. And I try to provide a totem each time, some little trinket, some something, so that when somebody sees it, it takes them immediately back to the time when they heard me speaking. It's like, oh, yeah, that's when John was talking about da 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 da. -da. That's right. something similar yeah. and very akin to that. Yeah. You've given them a little reminder that creates an association that they won't forget as easily. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's tactile as an addition into the auditory and the visual part of the conversation. You've given them something that they can feel and touch. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about Unforgettable and and why why write the book? Why do it now? And who'd you write it for? Yeah. Well, why did I write it? It started with a, a crazy idea that I had back in 2017 where I had this aha moment where I saw a time stand still when I was at a conference and that, that phrase stuck with me and mm -hmm. I got some association around it of, okay, man, this is like, that's what you want to do at an event is you want to slow time down enough that people can tackle the big things that they're facing in their life at that moment and walk away with a plan, walk away with hope, walk away on, on a journey toward change. And yeah. so I wanted to write a book that taught people how to do that. But what I realized was making time stand still is very subjective. And obviously it's, it's physically not possible. Um, I'm not God, so I can't do that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it did lead me to a series of thoughts that making it unforgettable is part of it. Um, when you make something meaningful and you give people space and you, they're able to shut out some of the other pressures in life, then you do get a sense of that, man. Yeah. This, it feels like we were here a lot longer and yet time also just rushed by. Um, so it started with a desire to do that. I began writing in 2017. I came under contract to, to publish the book in 2019 and then the pandemic hit. 
So a year and a half during the pandemic, I didn't work on it at all because no one cared about events. And yeah. then late 21, I started working on it again and finished it late in 22. So why now? It's because of that timeline. Um, who yeah. is it for? It's It was written first for subject matter experts who want to mm. create their own events or want to grow their oh. own events who okay. don't have an event planner. Um, I wanted to kind of break down some of the ways that you should think about events. So this is not a book where you're going to be able to, you know, color by the numbers and put your <laughs> together. Like I don't have all the checklists for you. I'll, I'll be creating checklists over time, but um, I didn't necessarily write it with that in mind as much as I want you to think differently about the way you put your event together. Mm-hmm. Because what I realized is, you know, events are like restaurants. Um, a one-star and a five-star restaurants pretty much have all the same elements in a mm. meal. Might be a couple of extra elements in a five-star meal, but pretty much it's all the same things that you're doing. You know, you you get greeted, you get seated, you get drinks, you get order your food, you get your food, you order your dessert, you get your dessert, you pay your check and you leave, right? I mean, there's right. obviously a lot more to that, but what's different is the quality of the food and even more so is the quality of the service. And so mm-hmm. book is written with the example of baking bread. Anyone could bake a loaf of bread w- with four ingredients and have a, an, an edible loaf of bread, but not anyone can bake an artisan loaf of bread, specialty loaves of bread. And so a master event planner is like a master baker. And so I mm-hmm. used that analogy of baking bread and it's really in the details, the way you think about it, the intention with which you do each thing. And so the the core of the book is walking through all the main ingredients of an event and showing you how to think about those things and put those things together. And ultimately showing you how to create your own recipe for the kind of event that you're trying to create, because the events I produce are not the same as the events that you produce. That makes perfect sense. Now, one of the things that we talk about often on this show, Phil, as you might imagine, based on the title of it, we talk about relationships quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is important to me uh, when we're talking specifically about these events that we create is an opportunity for people to make those connections or to enhance ones that already exist. What what role does, and I know we like to use the term networking, but to me, networking, every time I think about it, Phil, honestly, I just think, okay, in some small secluded little room with stale coffee and people who really don't want to be there with one another, but they have to in order to get business. That's not why I do it. Because mm-hmm. if I don't know somebody and we don't already have a relationship, I don't do business with them, period. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't. Mm-hmm. And so how do you go about creating that kind of atmosphere where people can, where it goes beyond the networking side of it, where it's like, you know what? I made some new friends that I may end up doing business with, but I made friends at this, at this event. How do you do that? Yeah. We all know people who are the parachute um, networkers who can walk into any space, meet people and become friends no matter what you do. Like it doesn't matter for some people, you just give them a room full of people and they'll start networking and making friends. Um, I had, I've worked with several people like that who within minutes would become better friends with people I've known for years. It was like, (laughs) how do you do that? But that's not the normal person. And depending on your demographic, they may not even exist in your demographic. 
So I think there's a lot of intentional things you have to do. And most of us don't enjoy the card pushing guy, you know, who mm -hmm. I call him card pushing Carl, who the first thing he does <laughs> is hand you his card. And then within seven seconds, he's determined whether he wants to keep talking to you. Um, mm -hmm. And you've already decided that you don't want to talk to him. So it doesn't really matter. So, <laughs> um, so I think what, and you can't just, you know, call something networking and expect that people will network. Like I've been to so mm. many events that have a networking party, you show up and there's nothing there to help you. So some of the things that you can do, um, I do think it helps to call things by that name, by the way, because I do think it, it puts people in a disposition of, okay, this is a time that I should talk to people. Like, okay. yeah, we're all strangers here. So I think calling things by that is okay. And if mm -hmm. you don't like networking, connections is a great word. Like we actually call it our connections crew. It's mm. not our net. We used to call it a networking ambassador, but now we call it a connections crew because we realized that ultimately people are after lasting connections. They want to make some new friends. Like you said, some of them they may, may do business with as partners, right. as you know, might be paying for something, whatever the situation might be. So we want to create space for it. So we've created a place for it by that. Mm -hmm. There's time in the calendar for it. So we actually have, we will create. 30 minute breaks between sessions, partly because it takes time to get from A to B. You need to go to the bathroom, get some coffee, but partially because we want people to have at least a, a conversation during that mm -hmm. break that they don't feel rushed. Like, yeah. oh, I don't have time to talk to you right now. It's like, like that experience that I had, you mm -hmm. know, want them to have to feel like they have to force everybody out of the room as soon as it's over. Like, hey, five minutes, linger for a conversation, then go grab your coffee, then go visit the restroom, then go to your next session. You got mm -hmm. time for all of that. Oh, um, yeah. So I think there's space in the calendar. There's space in the building. Um, having a team that their primary job is to work the event, get to know people and make introductions. Mm. That we have accrued that that's their job. And, you know, using the baking analogy, that they're my yeast. So if you have enough of those mm. people, and it doesn't take a lot, who are working the event and just going around and meeting people, they will activate the other people that already have that gift. So 10 to 20% mm. people in your audience already are connectors at heart. They love, they love meeting people and introducing people to someone else. You don't yeah. hardly have to ask and they may just do it anyway. So if you have a crew and you're one of them, yeah. So if you, I am. If you have people that set the tone that, Hey, that's who we are. That's what's going on here. They're going to activate the Johns. The Alice's. I've got a friend named Alice who, like, that's her dream job is to go to events and just introduce people. It's like, mm. man, if I could get paid to do that, she told me. It's like, <laughs> well, there are people that pay for that. Um, we don't, mm -hmm. but you know, there are people that do. So right. I think those things um, are super important. Then I think also you mentioned this um, what you do before. So mm. having some way that people can get to know each other and make plans. So I think when someone shows up and they already have plans to meet somebody when they arrive, it makes them feel way more confident and secure. Wow. And in our audience, half the people coming are introverts. And yeah. so, and introverted, but also more socially shy, like social media marketers, you think marketers are like outgoing and not really, they're not salespeople. Marketers and salespeople <laughs> are actually quite different. Marketers are either analytical or creative, but they mostly like to sit in front of their computer screen or their phone. And so when you put them in a social setting, it, it takes a little bit more effort on mm -hmm. their part to be willing to reach out. But if they already have plans and on the first day they know, hey, there's a party, 
And there's also this place I'm going to go for a meetup for dinner, or, you know, we're going to go, you know, it's taco Tuesday. When we arrive, we're going to go check out a bunch of taco places, or we're going to go surfing or hiking, or mm-hmm. you know, we're going to go run. So through a pre-event app, you know, we've used Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups and apps and all kinds of different ways to do it. Cause it's, there's not just one way to do it. That helps them already have some friends when they show up. And once you have a, a friend or a couple friends, it's easier to make new friends yeah. and find that one new friend that you're, you know, you're going to stay in touch with for a long time. For sure. You know, I have to say of all the events I've been to over the years and this, is, and I'm talking as someone who speaks at events, but my favorite part is not those main speaking things. It's when I meet somebody and we click immediately and yes. we skip a session to keep talking. Yeah, to continue to build on that relationship uh, for any number of reasons. And so essentially playing hooky, if you will, but nobody cares. (laughs) Well, and so that's actually bringing up a great point as an organizer or leader of an event, give permission for that. And one of the ways I do it is I'll say, expect serendipity. Um, one of my profs in seminary said, you never know when a 15 minute conversation will change your life. So yeah. if you're on the lookout for that connection that you just described, then you realize, oh, this, this is that they've got recordings. I can get that later. Yeah. I can't get this later. I'm staying in the, <laughs> let's go talk. And yeah, you know, it may only happen one time. Like you've got your plan, but be willing to shelve it if that happens. Um, you know, and, and be sensitive, you know, it may or may not happen, but if you're on the lookout for it, it, you're far more likely to recognize it. Absolutely. How would you say your faith impacts your business? Mm. Um, one of the ways is I, you know, I pray for people. So mm. um, as I meet them, as I hear them talking about stuff, I will either silently pray or ask them if it's okay if I pray with them right then, or if I just pray mm. for them in general. For our event, I pray pray before the event. I'll actually walk around the building and pray and invite others to do Mm. that. Um, I'm sure my faith is part of why I have optimism and a belief that people can change and Mm. a general, general belief in the goodness of people, you know, and what can happen, but obviously an awareness that there's a dark Mm. side of people too. And, um, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but I, I sometimes am surprised when that side of people comes out. Um, but I'd say the biggest way it, it's, it, it affects how I pray. It also affects me bringing people together who I find who share that faith. And we mm-hmm. join together and have some pretty amazing connections. Excellent. How would you define success? Mm. You know, it's, it's not necessarily about numbers. It's okay. a, for me, it's about transformation. So if I hear stories of, someone whose life has been changed. They've made a career change. They've made a new connection. They found a new job. Um, When they say this event is the best ever because something changed in their life, to me, that's success. And if one Mm. person has that happen, then it's been worth it. When lots of people say it happens, it's been worth it. But, you know, we don't have, you know, we've had events that are a thousand people and 5,000 and, um, all of them have been successful in certain respects. I've mm-hmm. led events with a lot less than a thousand people. So it's not about those numbers. It's to me, it's about the depth of impact. Um, and ultimately, you know, as a, as a Christian, am I doing what God's called me to do? You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to say, well done, 
but I've done what he asked me to do in this moment. That's ultimately success. But gotcha. what I can see visibly in the moment, it's about the impact. Okay. Uh, switching back to the book for just a minute, Unforgettable. Now, has it officially released? Well, your podcast will be out all over the world. So if you're listening to this before September 5th, no. If you're listening okay. to this after September 5th of 23, then yes, it's out. But it's available for order anywhere right mm. now. Um, any, any of the online bookstores, you can order it. Um, if you want an autographed copy, however, you need to order it from me at filmershawn.com. Which is how I got mine, folks. And I, and I will just tell you now, perfectly fine if Amazon or whichever is the way you like to order books. I'm one of those interesting individuals where if I can get the author to sign it for me, that's what I want. That gives me a reason to hang on to the book. And so I like that. Plus, I also like to make sure that the money goes as much directly to the author as possible. So if you order it from Phil, Phil's going to get the vast yeah. majority of the profits on that. So that's what I'm going to encourage all of you to do is to go there, is to order directly from Phil. Plus, he'll sign it for you. So added bonus. Added bonus. Absolutely. Well, thanks for speaking up for authors. You know how, the, how that works. I do. I do. And... This is another opportunity. Well, I will say an opportunity for me to say this to everyone out there. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I have been laboring over my first book for many, many years. It started in 2016. Uh, it got shelved for a couple different reasons. I won't get into those now. That's a separate podcast episode altogether, which I am going to do for all of you very soon. But just understand, John's book is well underway right now, and it is coming out this year. 2023 it will be out before the end of the year so you heard it with me talking with phil it's coming it's coming all right we're holding it i'm pumped and again this is the first book there's more coming but this is the first one absolutely so, all right well i know we're getting close on time here phil but uh you know before we get to our final four where can folks find you i'd say facebook and linkedin are the two best sites to go to um I think it's it's different URLs. I'll give those to you. I, I was not. Oh yeah, they'll be in the show that. notes. I'm not worried about that. But if somebody's yeah. listening, yep, they just, just look jump on, on Facebook, Facebook or LinkedIn. Okay, make sure it's me, the author of Unforgettable, because there are a few other filmer Sean's out there, and even one of them who calls himself the filmer Sean. So, um, oh well, but he had to say that because I'm filmer Sean. <laughs> Plus, there's your website. People can find you directly on your website too. So yes, okay. Well, here's our final four, Phil. They're just four quick questions. Tell me the first thing that pops in your head. All right, let's do it. So here, here we go. Why did God create Phil? To make a difference in the world. Love that. Number two, what are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? Um, I, I write frequently, and I started a vision process recently, and I, I listen to the Bible every day. And what do you do for fun? Pickleball, play jazz. Nice. What are you most grateful for? My wife. Um, life and yeah, being done with this book is really fun. Yeah, yeah. One last one, and then we'll let you go. Because you're an author, this one's really important. Now, you can't say your own book, but when people come to you for a book recommendation, it's like, Bill, Phil, I'm looking for a great book. What's the first thing that pops in your head? What do you recommend? Well, we've already talked about the first one, Power of Moments. Yes, um, we did. So that would be the first one that I recommend. And then after that, there's like so many. Um, I'd say. 48 Days by Dan Miller, 48 Days to Change Your Life uh, would mm -hmm. be a great one. It depends on what, what someone needs and what they're interested. So that's really a, 
I've got so many books. You can see some in the background here, but I've got mm -hmm. hundreds of books. So it, that's a hard one just to say there's only one. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Phil, thanks so much for your time today. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks for continuing to put the effort in in order to get your work of art out there because that's part of your creativity and putting that out there. And you're making all of us better because of what you wrote. I can't wait to finish. I have dug into the book. I'm not all the way through it yet, but I can't wait to learn more because you wrote that for somebody just like me. So that's one of the reasons I'm excited about it, but I was more excited to read it because it was your book. Well, thank you. John, can I give you a gift? Uh, yes, absolutely. You and your audience. All right, hold on. Yeah. We weren't planning on this, so but we're going to do it. All right. Um, tell me two words that stand out from our conversation today, John. Oh, my gosh. Memorable. And I guess that would actually be the same. I was going to say unforgettable and memorable, but they're kind of the same. Um, memorable. And wow, you really put me on the spot here. <laughs> right. I'm not used to being put on the spot here. Uh, here we go. We're going to go with memorable and unforgettable. Okay. Oh, Phil. Thank you so much, Phil. We certainly appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. You've given us your most precious resource, and that's your time. And I don't take that lightly. So thanks for investing in us today. You guys have a great one. We'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlett. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.